In this interview with Nikita Roy, host of the Newsroom Robots podcast, I share my take on the latest experiments in AI tools for journalists. Our chat explores the ways I've used AI, like leveraging Claude's long document analysis to summarize research papers. I also share my approach for evaluating new tools using what I'm calling a four F's checklist and my impression of some of the alternative AI tools I've tried, like Wobot and Personal.ai. Here's a short intro from Nikita, and then we'll get right into the interview. Thanks for listening. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Kaplan, who serves as the Director of Teaching and Learning at the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. He also leads the school's Entrepreneurial Journalism Creators Program, a 100-day online curriculum that guides independent journalists to build new ventures around the world. Before transitioning to academia, Jeremy was a reporter at Time Magazine, where he wrote about digital innovation. Now he's the voice behind Wonder Tools, a weekly newsletter that zeroes in on the most useful digital tools to boost productivity. In our conversation today, we explore the landscape of AI tools, weighing their capabilities against their constraints. Plus, Jeremy gives us a first-hand account of his experiences and use cases integrating AI into his work. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to Newsroom Robots. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Nikita. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I have been looking forward to having you on the show, mainly because every time I've spoken to you, I've always come away with some important insights on AI or a fascinating new tool that you've told me about that then soon becomes part of my AI toolkit. And so I'm eager to just dive deep into a discussion on AI tools with you today and want to learn what you've come across and how you're using it in your work. We are all familiar with ChatGPT from OpenAI, and we've discussed it a lot on the show. And there's now a growing list of competitors that are coming out. Meta, at the time of recording right now, is just open-sourced their language model, Llama 2, which is surprisingly done with partnership with Microsoft. But we've also got Cloud from Anthropic and Poe from Quora, and all of them getting a fair bit of buzz recently. So I want to start off by knowing what are your thoughts on how all of these other chat GPT competitors stack up and what experiences you've been having with like Cloud and Poe? I like to think of the AI tools we have so far as the big five. And we started with OpenAI's ChatGPT, as you mentioned, and then we've since then seen Bard join from Google, and then Bing AI, which was using OpenAI's technology, but had a different interface, a different user experience. And most recently, Claude and Poe. And those two are the newest and I think the most exciting kind of most recent entrants. In addition to those five, though, we also have a bunch of other kind of custom AI tools that are slightly different that I think are really interesting that we can talk about things like personal.ai, or Pi and Wobot. These are individual AI tools that are for specific 
purposes that are a little bit different from the chat GPTs of the world. Could you get into more into personal AI and Volbot? What's really different about them? Yeah, so this category is a brand new one that I'm writing about. And the idea here is not that they're going to answer any question you have, like ChatGPT or generate text from the corpus of the entire internet, like Bing and Bard and, and ChatGPT and Claude. Instead, they're basically conversation partners that use AI to comfort you or to counsel you or to just be a conversational partner for you. And they're very much emerging at the moment. They're still kind of in development, personal.ai just announced their second version. And the idea is, is that you essentially have a kind of conversation partner that has an AI power to it. So you can kind of get to know it, it can get to know you a little bit, and it can remember answers that you've given in the past. So that can be useful if you want to be reminded of, what was that restaurant I went to when I was here last time? Or what did I really mean to say? I mentioned three points I was going to say to this person. Or it can act as kind of like a external memory bank for you. And it can also remind you of different things you've been thinking about. And it can also just be a a kind of like robotic assistant for you as you're going through your day. Here are the five things I want to get done today. Help me think through what order I should do them in. And I'm stuck. I'm not feeling motivated at the moment. What are some ways people like me can, you know, motivate themselves to keep working when we're stuck? So you can kind of think of it as a, as a digital assistant or a digital AI conversation partner. And it's a different category from the chat GPTs. That sounds so cool. I feel like it's like a personalized blog post written for you that before you'd have Google answer your questions and now something like that can just be your assistant. I'm also curious to know, you've been playing around with Cloud and Poe. What has that experience been like? How you've been using it more than ChatGPT? Claude is really interesting to me because of the extent of its memory. So you can upload almost 75,000 words to Claude. I'm actually finishing a post about this right now because I've been testing long uploads of PDFs that are quite substantive and lengthy. And I can ask it to, to help me analyze this, to give me a summary of the key points, to help teach me something from it in a simple way, step by step, to coach me on how I would implement the ideas in this document and to give me feedback when I give an example of how I might implement it based on the insights of the document. So I can kind of use it as a coach that draws only on that document. So unlike ChatGPT or something where you're using it generally for material from the corpus of the entire internet, you can direct Claude to just draw on this specific material. And it could be your own material, something you created, or it could be something from another research document or a scholarly paper, for example, that you're trying to, to learn from. So that's really powerful. And the 75,000 word maximum means that you are just able to have much bigger documents, much bigger window of, of information to examine. You could upload your own journal, past journal, for example, and think through what were some of the, what are some of the inferences it can draw about things, times when you were doing well or times when you were struggling. There are really limitless possibilities for, for ways to use it that I'm just beginning to explore. And with Claude, it's completely free. So for ChatGPT, you can use the plugins to have it examine attachments and other materials, but those require the $20 a month subscription, at least as of now. Whereas with Claude, it's completely free to do that kind of analysis for now, which is great. And the UI is very similar. User experience and interface is very similar to ChatGPT, so it's essentially just a box. But the answers are slightly different. So it's a Coke and Pepsi kind of thing. In addition to that attachment feature, it has a slightly different response to the question you might ask ChatGPT. So I think it's fun to experiment with both. One thing that's 
great about Poe, which is another new AI tool, is that you can create these single-use AI bots that do just one thing really well. So for example, I created a little one that's a French guru. So I'm still trying to work on my French and it basically not just translates something, but it explains why it's using a certain phrase or how it's using a certain grammatical element of the language. And that's its only purpose is for that, right? There's another one that I created that just gives me a six word summary. So I can give it a title of any book or movie or film or play or anything. And you can create your own really, really easily, or you can find hundreds of other bots that people have created. For example, one that just gives you good mid-journey prompts. So you describe the kind of picture you want and it'll give you the language to use in mid-journey. So I love this idea of like really custom made AI bots that just do one thing really, really well. And they can be useful when you need to do some specific thing. I love that. That's fun. The French guru, especially having your own French teaching aid for yourself. One that I really like playing with is called Memory Aid. And the idea here is it gives you little mnemonic devices. So I often like frameworks and tools for remembering things because I forget them so easily. So I can ask it for mnemonic device basically for pretty much anything I want to remember, whether it's the order of the colors of the rainbow or the planets or the classifications of living things, you know, the kingdom and phylum and all that. And it will give me a clever little way to remember that. So that's been a useful single purpose AI tool with Poe. And this is something that people can just create their own Poe bots with kind of just having their own prompts that they can just have single purpose use for every single bot that they create, right? Yeah, exactly. It's really, really easy. And you're basically just customizing a flavor of Claude or, or ChatGPT. So you're not creating the whole language model. You're just building on top of it a little bit of a custom set of instructions that requires no coding. It's no complexity. takes a few minutes in some cases, depending on how sophisticated it is. There are some other ones that allow you to do this in a more sophisticated way, like character.ai, but this one is really just a simple one and very easy to use. And you can use anyone else's bots. So you can make your own or you can just use what other people have already made. That's a really fun use case for Poe. And right now, ChatGPT also has all of these different plugins that are adding like a new layer of usability to it. What have you come across with ChatGPT over there that's been a fun use case that you've been using in your work? So the plugins are really, really interesting and their plugin store just keeps growing and growing and growing. There are hundreds and hundreds of different plugins. There are 177 screens as of now, each of which have several different plugins to choose from. So it really depends kind of what you want to use it for. You can find something. There's some really specialized ones. For example, people who are Substack newsletter writers like me, we now have a Substack AI plugin that allows us to dig into our past posts or even look at other people's posts and topics covered by other newsletter writers, for example. There are travel plugins that are useful for making some preliminary travel plans and thinking about different possibilities in different cities, things like Expedia and Kayak, Open Table if you're interested in booking a restaurant. So there's some of those kind of practical ones. There are some more research-oriented ones that are really useful, like Wolfram Alpha. And an example of how that works is essentially enables ChatGPT to do math, which surprisingly it can't really do on its own. Claude, by the way, has that same handicap. It can't really do math, surprisingly. So with Wolfram Alpha's plugin for ChatGPT, you can actually have it do relatively complicated multi-part 
math problems and, and also kind of situational math. So you can tell it a CPM, for example, and how many ads you're thinking about having on a particular page and how many advertisers you potentially will be pitching and what percentage you think might convert. You can sort of feed it that information in a scenario and then it will do all the number crunching for you and spit out some, some accurate analysis, which is helpful in my test. And you've obviously spent a lot of time with all of these variety of AI tools. Is there any one tool that you found is absolutely essential for you now that's become a part of your everyday life? And what makes that stand out? Well, I do think ChatGPT remains the most versatile and full at the moment because of the range of plugins. So for example, one of the other plugins I like is one called Whimsical, which is a design tool that allows you to create diagrams like organizational charts or process or flowcharts. And with Whimsical's plugin, you can just type something in natural language, like show me the process for having a plant grow or having um, hiring an employee through all of the stages of that process. And it will generate a diagram for you that you can then edit in Whimsical. So, and you can do similar things with other apps, like you can use Zapier and have the research that you're doing in ChatGPT be plugged into a spreadsheet, a Google spreadsheet, or an email that you have ChatGPT helping you draft you can have it put into your drafts folder in Gmail. So the fact that it plugs into all of these different kinds of tools, like Zapier, like Whimsical, like Wolfram Alpha, like all these travel apps that I mentioned, means that it's really versatile and you can use it for whatever you want to use it for. Or if you just want to have it compose a crazy poem in the style of Michael Jackson about grilled cheese or something, you could do silly things, but you can also do really useful, practical things. So for now, ChatGPT, with its plugins, does remain the most versatile. But increasingly, I think that we'll have a whole AI toolkit. We won't necessarily just have one that we always use. And increasingly, all of the tools we have will have AI built in, right? So Notion already has a really nice AI implementation. Coda has a new, really excellent AI implementation. Craft, which is a tool I love, craft.do, which is a note-taking and document tool I love using which is beautifully designed, has a really nice AI implementation right inside the tool as well. Even Google Docs now has an AI implementation. Canva has an AI implementation. So all of these tools we use have AI baked in. So we don't necessarily always have to go out to GT or Claude or one of those tools to, to benefit from AI. And I think that's, that's going to be really helpful. So we don't have to break our workflow to get the benefit of AI. And I'm eager to learn more about how you're utilizing AI when you're running your newsletter. Your newsletter is all about evaluating tools and being on top of all of the new tools that are coming. And there's a lot of them. How do you use AI to kind of write that? Well, one of the secrets I'll share is that for Wonder Tools, one of the things that has been time consuming for me by choice is responding to email. So I encourage people to write back and Many people, surprisingly or not surprisingly, do take me up on that. They'll write me a question or they'll say hello, which I love. I really, it's so fun getting to meet people from around the world, e-meet, not really meet them in person, but meet them through email. It's really nice and interesting. And oftentimes they'll share something about where they're from, which is really a great opportunity for me to learn about different places and different fields of interest that people have. And yeah, that can be time consuming because once you get into an email dialogue, that can be really time consuming. So one of the new things I've been experimenting with is using AI in email as part of my workflow. And Superhuman, which is the email tool I use, which plugs into Gmail, it actually has a new AI implementation as well. And the nice thing about it is that it, unlike sort of generic GPT email 
on ChatGPT or Claude or somewhere else, it actually starts to know your style because it can look at your past emails. You essentially give it access to a month of your past email when you set it up. So it actually does a decent job of imitating your style, I would say. And it's not sending anything without your permission, of course, right? You're still in charge of that experience. It's just helping you draft. So you're starting from a draft. And in addition, you coach it on the draft. So you say, here are a couple of things I want to mention. But you don't have to word it out exactly or type it out exactly in your own words, which is what often takes me some time. So instead, I can just give it a few phrases or key points I want to make. And then it puts it into a nicer format that sounds like full sentences. And then I can take another look at it and then I can send it. So it's still my words. It's still my thoughts. It's not doing anything for me in that sense, except stringing my thoughts together into something a little bit more coherent and full sentences. And that, that's a time saver when you're doing many, many emails a day, particularly for these kind of light exchange emails where it's someone I don't know. And the alternative is I wouldn't be able to write to them at all. I wouldn't necessarily use this day to day with colleagues or friends, for example, because I want to be my human self in those interchanges. But when it's, you know, just dealing with a large group of people that I don't know and, and just have a one off or one or two email exchange, it can be pretty helpful in that in that context. So that's that's one of the ways in which AI is useful for for the newsletter. That's actually a really fascinating use case. And and the first time I'm hearing somebody openly talk about using AI to help write emails. You have to be careful. You have to be you have to be careful with it. Yeah. Yes. I've gotten a couple of emails from people and I and I emailed them back, say, did you use AI for that? Because it didn't sound like you. And I do think there's a danger here. And I definitely don't want to encourage people like just giving the AI, you know, free reign on your email. But if you do write a lot of emails and, and some of them are like super important or super personal, then, you know, I think it can help with that. And again, just drafting, it's not sending. So yeah, I do think there's a place for it in the routine. There are a couple other use cases for me, um, AI in the newsletter. One is I had a column recently or post where people had a lot of comments suggesting different tools, alternative tools and ideas in response to a post. And I wanted to gather those in a way that people could see. Because sometimes when you have a threaded set of comments, it's kind of hard to make sense of if you're coming upon that as a reader. So I just copied all that and pasted it into Notion and had Notion AI basically put it into a neat table and organize it and create two columns, one which was the name of the tool and in the second column was like a little description based on what someone had written in the comments. So if I had manually put that together and like made the whole table and copied each, you know, it would have just taken at least an hour or two of menial work to clean that up and put it in an organized way and set it up, et cetera. And this took like five minutes because I just literally copied and pasted it as a notion, gave it a little prompt as to, you know, what I wanted the table to look like, organize, you know, and it did it really well. It was surprisingly good at that. And recently I tried something similar with Claude and it actually added the links as well, which surprised me, added accurately, added the links to the words so that people could just click on the name of the tool. So that's another case where AI can be helpful with a kind of menial task of organizing information that would have otherwise just been a lump of stuff. And how are you dealing with like hallucination? How are you dealing with your prompts specifically to avoid hallucination with when you're using like cloud or ChatGPT or any of these AI tools? Well, there are a few different strategies. One is to tell it to be careful and make sure that you're not adding anything fake. So even just saying something like that, adding that little addendum to your prompt can be helpful. And I've heard that a couple of, uh, of kind of experts in this arena. Another thing is, you know, in many cases, I'm not actually using it to look for fact-based material, if that makes sense. I'm kind of more asking it to take this set of text and clean it up, reorganize it, um, put it into a table 
or draft some material that I'm going to look at that's based on something I'm giving it. For example, I'm, I'm giving it a PDF of this scholarly paper, a 20-page paper about pedagogy, and I'm asking it to synthesize key stuff. And I can go back and look and check if that's in the paper and make sure. So those are a couple of specific strategies. I think increasingly we're going to be asking the AI to focus on a specific corpus so that it's not just pulling generally from the entire internet, but it's pulling specifically from this specific Google Drive folder or this specific set of documents on Dropbox or this specific corpus of material that you've created or prepared or curated. And I think when it's doing that, it's in a lot more controlled environment and it's not just going to pull in as randomly as, as it might otherwise. I'm wondering when you're evaluating all of these new AI tools that are coming about, what are the primary factors that you're considering to kind of discern what's a potentially great tool from the pack that you then go and include in your newsletter? I have a little four Fs checklist. This is, I like alliteration and I like checklists. So first is friction. So if there's something that's super complicated, like it's going to be really expensive or really time consuming, or I'm going to have to fill out like a three page set of documentation and wait three weeks, that might be a reason for pause, right? On a tool, if I'm just kind of wanting a quick experiment. So friction is a big first thing. Second, is it fast? Like, can I actually get something done quickly? Are there a lot of things I'm excited about doing and eager to do and want to do. And if I have to suffer slow performance or something isn't really working rapidly enough for me, that's also a question mark or a danger mark. Some things you do have to wait for and some things are worth doing slowly for sure. But when it comes to AI and productivity, I want it to work quickly. Third is fun. Like, is this actually fun to use? Like, is it lively? Is it well-designed? Is it feel good and useful? And then fourth, is it fruitful? Like, does it actually generate something that I can use and build on, work with? So that's a simple kind of checklist for me when I'm thinking about something new. And after testing a bunch of these things, I start to get a feel for whether there's something actually new here and different because we don't just need 10 of the same things. We only want to add something to a toolkit if it's really going to be better and or cheaper and or faster than something else we've already been using, or if it's really adding something new and different, right? So if it's going to be doing something that no other tool has really been able to do, that can be a really helpful thing. So for example, one of the new areas I'm looking into is taking long videos and creating short little usable, shareable clips out of them. Right? So that's a useful function that takes a long time to do manually by hand, but AI tools can, can start to do that now well. So if I find a tool, and I'm exploring tools, if I find one that I really like in that arena, that would be a good one to add to my toolkit. Whereas if I find a, simply another tool that will generate plain text like ChatGPT does, or like any of the other tools we've, we've discussed do, that's less of a priority because we already have some really great tools to do that. And I'm quite interested in that use case of getting shorter videos from long form videos. What tools have you come across right now in your research? Well, it's still early to say, so I'm not in a position yet to recommend one of those. Keep an eye on Wonder Tools for later this summer or fall for recommendations in that arena. But there are some interesting tools that are using AI for video creatively. So Runway ML is one that's really interesting. Capwing is another one that's using AI really in, in an interesting way and, and Descript. So those are three that use AI already for a variety of purposes and they each have AI incorporated in, in a slightly different way. There's also one called Watch It, W 
O-C-H-I-T.ai allows you to create a 30 second sort of magic AI video. It'll just kind of like make the video for you with a little prompt, which is kind of cool. The other ones that I mentioned, Descript and Capwing and Runway are a little bit more sophisticated in terms of using AI to empower you as a video editor to do a little bit more quickly some of the menial things you would otherwise have to do. So they're not exactly handling all of the clipping kind of scenario that I was speaking about, but they're doing some of the video editing help in terms of generating transcript, in terms of letting you edit with a transcript, in terms of letting you automatically clean up filler words and other material, automatically kind of improve the, let's say, lighting or contrast and some other kind of technical things that you might do with video editing. So it's an exciting arena, but it's still an arena that's developing. And I think we'll see more and more tools later this summer and this fall into the winter that are helping with the video editing process, which can be so labor intensive and where there's really like a lot of benefit to having more AI. I think we'll see Adobe and Apple starting to include more AI features in their professional tools, Final Cut and and Premiere. And we'll also see more creativity around smaller startups taking longer form video interviews, for example, and and giving you cool ways to, to chop those up into small pieces that you can then share without having to spend hours doing the manual video editing. You can just do a quick check or a quick adjustment and share. Yeah, I'm excited for that future, hopefully, where we can convert all these podcast interviews into more shorter form, bite-sized content without having another person doing all of that. But I'm kind of interested to know also, from your experience, what are the recurring limitations that you've been facing when you've been dealing with all of these AI tools? Has there been a constant gap that you've been seeing in the current landscape? Some of the tools don't do a great job explaining what you can do with them and how to use them effectively. I think this is a problem with a lot of tools in general is they give you a blank box and they say, go to it. And they might say, you know, watch out, it might confabulate or it might hallucinate. Or they might say, you know, you can't trust this information or what have you. But they don't necessarily do a great job of guiding you to some creative use cases or uses of it. And I went through the Claude documentation, for example, and they have some good tips on how it works. And they try to be as concise as possible, I think, is their their focus, it seems. But actually, I think what would be more useful would be to say, here are five different fields that people might be in and 10 different use cases in each of those fields where we've found that certain prompts work really well to get you in this direction, right? So so I think people need more handholding and more help and more scaffolding to use the tools effectively. And I think a lot of the tools, and I'm generalizing here, but I found it to be generally true, a lot of the tools just kind of want to let you figure it out for yourself. That's their ethos is kind of like, well, you can do anything with it, so go to it. And I think what ends up happening is that 90% of the uses tend to fall around a certain small area that people have seen other people or heard other people talking about. But there's actually this like huge 90 other percent that we just haven't really thought through yet because there's a disconnect between what you could do or possible uses, possible use cases, possible ways of using them creatively that we just haven't been introduced to. So that's that's one of the, the limitations I've seen. I think another limitation is the windows of what something will remember are limited. So for example, if you start a if you start a particular chat with Claude or with ChatGPT or some of the other tools on a particular topic, and then you come back to it later, if you're within the same chat window, it'll remember that context. But if you want it to know several different things about different kinds of preferences you have, and those are situated in different chat conversations that you've had, it won't remember across those conversations. 
right? So it, it essentially treats you as a separate person each time. And there's some security reasons for that or some some kind of guardrails that are set up and, that, and that's part of why. But I think that creates an artificial limitation, which is to say it can't really get to know all your preferences and therefore you have to repeatedly include those constraints or those details or those reminders, which limits what you can do in each chat because you have to re- reiterate all the stuff that you needed to know every single time, basically. And so that's a limitation, I think. And I think that's a little bit where these other tools like personal.ai come into play or Pi, where the idea is that they are going to get to know you over time and they're going to serve as kind of an agent for you. And they, knowing your preferences, knowing your style, knowing your key considerations, you don't have to keep telling those tools the same things every day. And I think that can be kind of helpful. That can be useful. There's obviously considerations people have about people being too dependent on an, on an AI tool or falling in love with an AI tool and th- that sort of stuff. But for productivity purposes, it's really helpful to have it get to know some of your your preferences, some of the key considerations. What city, you know, if you're, you're using it for travel, you want it to know what city you're going to, what your airline preferences are, that, that sort of thing, your budget, those kinds of things. You don't want to have to start from scratch every single time. Yeah, I see that as... That's currently a roadblock for me as well. Every time you go to ChatGPT as well, putting in the same prompts again and again for different use cases, it doesn't remember what I like or what I want. And that's the biggest limitation. Yeah. And if you think about across all domains, various domains of our our lives, right? Like if you have certain dietary preferences or dietary needs, right? You have certain travel preferences, you have certain preferences in terms of what time of day you're doing certain things, or you are traveling with particular family members or alone, or you have other, like, there's all these different characteristics that we have in a persistent way that if the tool remembers those, it's really helpful. And if it doesn't, it really slows us down every time and prevents it from being like a really quick, helpful aid to speed our productivity. Shifting gears a bit, I want to talk more about using AI in the space of education, because I did an AI workshop for your entrepreneurial journalism creators program. And when I came into the Zoom room, I remember being with a couple of bots and new AI tools uh, being experimented over there. And I got a bunch of transcripts and emails at the end. And I was introduced to a lot of tools just by being in your classroom, which was a fun use of seeing how AI is being used in teaching. And so I'm curious to know more about how are you integrating AI into your teaching as a professor and how do you use all of those tools in different aspects to just engage students? Well, the first and most significant or substantial way we've used AI so far is through the creation of summaries and transcripts and materials that we can refer back to for the classes. So with live classes, we, well, let me back up and say that the program that I lead is the Entrepreneurial Journalism Creators Program, which is a 100-day online program for independent journalists around the world who are creating new newsletters, podcasts, niche ventures of various kinds, news sites. And we meet a couple times a week for live sessions. And after a session, there might be a lot of different ideas that have floated through that session, a lot of different tools and resources and quotes and comments and frameworks and slides. And there's a lot that people may want to come back to and return to. So we do have a manual human process, which is really important. And that is that we have a shared notes document. So everyone takes a turn leading notes for one particular day during the term. And we share that document and everyone has access to it. So we have a collective record and artifact of our learning and our term and our journey. And that can include images and screenshots and various kinds of resources. 
but it doesn't have necessarily a summary of everything in the way that the AI can provide that. So we use several different AI tools. We've been experimenting with several different AI tools to create a uh, full transcript and a summary. And what's exciting about a couple of them that I'll mention is that you can actually query them. So the one that I'm thinking of in particular is called 4149.ai. And it's a new tool that is really useful in that it it records the session mainly for the transcript. So we're not using it for the video itself or, or the, even the audio itself necessarily, just for the transcript. And then it takes the transcript, generates a really intelligent summary that's broken down by section with helpful headings. And then it has this function where it gives you a Google Doc and you can actually query the Google Doc. So you can say, what were some interesting quotes from the session? Or what did this person say about burnout? Or the subject of revenue streams came up, which were the ones that people mentioned, because I can't remember all of them. And you can ask it those questions and it has the answers, right? And it can answer them in natural language. So in essence, it's like having an assistant who was at the session and memorized every single word that was said and have that assistant available to you 24 seven to answer any question you have about any of the sessions. So to me, that's really, really powerful. And increasingly, you can imagine being able to query across the sessions, right? So like the subject of growth came up several times. Like what were the, some of the key strategies that came up over several terms and who mentioned each of them? So you can ask it really interesting and subtle questions about what we've been learning and engage with a dialogue with the actual material. And then it'll give you the quotes, right? It'll say, oh, that was in session whatever. And it happened at this time. And this person said this. And then you can go back to the other notes or you can go back to the actual recording. So that I think is really helpful and, and our experiments are really promising with, with that. And I think people found, participants that I spoke with about this found that that was useful to have. And again, anyone can put in any query they want. So it's flexible and, and open-ended. That at the moment has been free as well, which is really, really great. And you can even tune it now. So you can say you want its summary to be a little bit more creative or a little bit like more exacting. You can sort of give it a little bit of flexibility. In its next phase, one of the things the tool creator is doing is actually giving it license to be even more proactive. So it could follow up a session by saying in this live session, these five topics came up. Here are three related pieces that have been published recently on this topic and two other frameworks that might be useful. And sort of like allowing the AI to do some research following up on the live sessions to give you supplemental information that you could then either use or, or not use. So that's, that's one thing. There are several other tools like that that have been helpful for summaries. Um, supernormal.com is one we've used for summaries, which has really been great. I like the quality of the summaries and you can customize the format and the headings that it uses. We've used one called blocks.app, B-L-O-K-S.app, which is one I recommend because you don't have to invite it to the meeting. So it just operates on your desktop and you can use it to record any session on any topic. And just as a side note, I actually was at a couple of conferences recently and used that app to summarize the sessions I was in so that I could just kind of be focused on listening and thinking about what people were saying and knowing that I would have the full transcript and the summary via the AI app. That was quite handy. So all of these are, are AI tools we've been using as part of the program. We haven't gotten into having AI generating lots of material or content for us because we still obviously are human-led and the humanity of, of our connections with one another is, is really important and valuable. We are thinking about using tools for connecting people, for example, based on their interests. So there's a tool called intros.ai that we're experimenting with that will help introduce people in our network and our alumni network to one another based on their interests and their preferences and their objectives. So AI can be helpful in, in matching people in that way. So that's one example that we're 
experimenting with. But I'm excited about this next phase because now we have a lot of potential new ways to to apply AI for teaching. That's really exciting and amazing to see how AI can be transforming that entire learning experience. I started trying blocks.app after your recommendation in every single meeting, getting all of the transcript and all the key takeaways that you were sending me in emails. And so that prompted me to download blocks.app and that's soon become my favorite app right now as well. Thanks to that. 4149 AI, it's still on a wait list. So I'm still stuck on the wait list and hopefully soon I'll get to try out all of those features that you've been talking about. So I'm excited about that. And kind of switching into journalism education, but also in light of all of the changes that we've been seeing, how are you envisioning journalism education evolving to better prepare students and people who are trying to build their ventures right now in this increasingly AI-driven era? Like, what are they supposed to be keeping in mind? Well, I think one thing that the AI allows us to do, which can be helpful, is to customize and personalize more efficiently some of the materials we're creating or could create. So for example, we've had people from 37 different countries in the last couple of years, and they all have been terrific about speaking English and understanding English to be in the program, but many of them have another native language and they might prefer having some materials available in that native language. And they might, for example, benefit from having examples of certain ideas that we talk about in certain frameworks presented either in their own language or in relevant cultural contexts. And so I can envision AI being used in some cases to create adaptive materials that are really customized for a particular scenario or use case or cultural context or language context so that people have, you know, the shared set of materials, but then they also might have some supplemental materials that might be more relatable in certain cases or might include examples that are closer to their particular context, like the kind of project they're working on, the language they're working in, the cultural and lo- you know geographic location they're in. So that's one thing I'm, I'm looking ahead to. I think in terms of productivity, you know, as independent creators and journalists, there's so many different kinds of things that we have to do on a daily basis, right? From gathering information, synthesizing information, organizing information, sharing information with other people, putting information onto social platforms to distribute the information, drawing connections between different things that we're working on in our notes or in different interviews that we've conducted or different research papers that we're reading and gathering, looking for new material that we don't even, haven't even started reading yet. We're just identifying new potential sources, either people or papers or other information out there. And AI can be helpful with a lot of those tasks because it can do that kind of menial, manual work really quickly. And then we always can act as the final arbiter, right? It's not that, again, the AI is doing end thing for us. It's it's kind of helping us along with the menial components of the task. So we use a lot of labor-saving devices, you know, all the time with washing machines and microwaves and, and dishwashers and so on. And, and I think the AI can be helpful with the kinds of manual tasks that just would take longer by hand. So for example, as a reporter, we're looking at spreadsheets and looking at thousands of rows and columns and looking for outliers in the data, right? And pretty soon we'll be able to just normally just query for those and have AI identify those outlying cells or columns or rows that we can quickly take a look at, right? It's not that it's going to make a final decision for us. It's just going to direct our eye to something we might want to have a look at. Similarly, we can direct AI to look at our notes and the hundreds of people that we've spoken with recently and identify, you know, which of them were talking about, I don't know, geothermal energy 
when we had conversations with them because now we're collecting some string on a new potential story, right? So the AI can do that really quickly. Whereas if we went back through our notes, I don't know about you, but if I went back through my notes manually, that would take me hours to go through all of that and find those specific mentions because we're not just looking for keywords. That's the thing. Like people may word things differently or talk about them in different ways. So it's not just like running a search for a keyword. It's it's actually kind of using the AI intelligence to understand the context of the sentences and the conversations that we've had. So I consider AI as a kind of an assistant, a digital assistant that will help us speed up the menial parts of our work throughout the journalism workflow. That's exciting. And I think we've been talking a lot about the future in terms of what AI can be doing for us throughout this entire episode. And to just wrap up this entire conversation, I really want to know more about your perspective on what do you think as an industry at large, what advice do you have to journalists and what steps do you think we should be taking right now to kind of stay competitive and be a part of this AI revolution? I think we should all have a core part of what we do be time devoted to learning and experimentation. So if you are working in a newsroom and you are tasked with, you know, writing three stories a day, as I know from some of my former students have had to do, and you are chasing deadlines, you know, day after day, it's hard to have time to sit down and say, okay, how could I actually reorganize my workflow so that I'm not just a little more efficient once, but consistently I'm more efficient on a particular task or type of work regularly every day. Because those are gains that are going to open up a 10x improvement in your workflow in terms of how enjoyable it is to work on something and how efficient it is to work on something. But in order to open up that 10x improvement and benefit, there has to be that little investment up front in terms of understanding how this thing works, why it's useful, when to use it, what some of the red flags are, or when it might not be the appropriate thing to, to use. And I think we need to carve out space for that within newsrooms and within whatever kind of work we're doing. And it's hard to do, right? Because it's one of those things that's important, but not necessarily urgent, or it doesn't feel urgent. feels like it might be useful, but it doesn't feel as urgent as the deadline that's confronting us today, right? And so that's what I think we need to open up space for. And I think part of that is creating a culture where that's just part of what we do, right? So we have a sandbox lunch every week where we talk about things, right? And we experiment with things. Or we have a monthly training session where we get together and see how someone is doing something really cool and useful. And these can be spark shops, right? Spark workshops where there's just 15 minutes, right? It doesn't have to be that we devote many hours to this, but I think we have to prioritize it. And the experimentation does require a little bit of an open mind and openness to trying things that we're not necessarily good at right away, or we don't understand right away. We have to be comfortable with that discomfort a little bit and trying out something like AI tools that take care of some of the meaningful work may not always yield instant perfection, right? So people love to share online examples of AI kind of mis, misfiring or, you know, what, whatever, doing a bad summary or something like that will happen just like it happens with any, any tool. But we have to push past that and identify, okay, well, this is where it's really useful. This is a use case where I could actually make use of it regularly. And this is a way that I'm going to incorporate it into my workflow. So I think that's something that we can do in, in the industry is to carve some more space for that. It's essentially, again, focusing on the important and not just the urgent. Those are some wise words there, focus on the important and not the urgent and have a space for us to navigate this world of AI that might seem daunting, but kind of with the right mindset and tools, we could be able to embrace it to be more productive. And 
I have learned so much just from talking with you today. Once again, I felt like it was a life wonder tool session that I got. And thank you so much for your time and insights and joining me on News from Robots. It's a pleasure. And I learn from you all the time as well. And I'm learning from so many people who are doing this experimentation. One of the exciting things is there's so much happening in public. People are sharing their prompts, they're sharing their ideas, they're sharing their examples, and we can all learn from each other and keep experimenting. And, and the tools keep changing so quickly that we can't avoid having to relearn over and over. Yes, it's going to be a time of learning and experimenting. So thank you so much, Jeremy. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Jeremy Kaplan, the Director of Teaching and Learning at the Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots.